0: Hello and welcome to the Point of Care Ultrasound Certification Academy podcast where we focus on POCUS. Here, we will discuss all things related to point of care ultrasound, the practice, the trends, and its impact on healthcare. Our program will engage thought leaders who are defining global patient care with the stethoscope of the future. to the podcast Focus on POCUS. Uh, today, hey, 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 it's a CRNA kind of day. We've had a couple CRNAs today, and today we are broadcasting from the Widget Studios here in Media PA, and today we have Thomas Barbeau, who is the founder of the Society for Opioid-Free Anesthesia, also known as SOFA and is currently serving as president. SOFA is a nonprofit organization dedicated to education research on opioid-free anesthesia and postoperative pain management. Thomas currently practices in Atlanta, Georgia, and is responsible for implementing opioid-free anesthesia and postoperative pain protocols. He received a bachelor's degree in nursing from The Ohio State University, a master's of science in nursing and anesthesia residency from Case Western Reserve University, and a doctorate in nursing practice and pain management fellowship from the University of South Florida. Thomas, how are you today? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Where are you calling me from?
1: Uh, I'm actually at work in Atlanta, Georgia right now.
0: Yeah, you were just saying earlier, you're doing those, uh, that crazy, what, 312s, or you're doing a shift work, so you're able to live out out in the bucolic country and run into, you know, the metropolis of Atlanta and do your thing and go back to the leafy area, right?
1: Yeah. I uh, actually live in Lexington, Kentucky right now.
0: Wow. And
1: uh, so it's a bit of a commute, but I'm doing, you know, 48 to 72 hour shifts down in Atlanta. So uh, not doing a lot of those a month and I can just commute back and forth.
0: Nice. That sounds very nice. That's something we were talking about. Maybe uh, artificial intelligence will free us all to the three-day, four-day work week. That would be fantastic.
1: Absolutely. I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll put a request in. So, That's right. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about it. There's a lot of things that go on with the CRNA and, you know, point-of-care ultrasound is just a small part of it. You guys do a lot. So how did you get started in point-of-care ultrasound?
1: So, you know, going through school and stuff, you learn – Uh, ultrasound for for vascular access and peripheral nerve blocks. And that's sort of the, you know, standard curriculum that we've been doing forever. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, as I I got out of school and I I fell in with some people who were teaching it, um, and I started teaching it and, uh, you know, started slowly incorporating it, ultrasound is just... Uh, such a cool modality, it has that, that cool factor that people just want to play with it when it's, uh, you know, when you're not using it, and so uh, we started doing some lung scanning for pneumothorax, mm-hmm. uh, scanning the the abdomen for uh, gastric contents and NPO status, uh, and, you know, just little things like that. But then my my first job out of school, we had a a fellowship trained cardiothoracic anesthesiologist uh, who was trained in TEE. And he was like, well, you know, we've got this ultrasound machine sitting right here. Uh, We should all learn to do some basic transthoracic echo. That would have you know, a lot of utility. And so he picked out two or three CRNAs and I was one of them. Yes. Um, and we started uh, scanning each other and finding some books and learning to do some some basic transthoracic echo. And that's made uh, such a huge difference in my practice. Um, you know, if there's one sort of skill that I think everyone should know, that's, that's pretty high up on the list.
0: So you're like, doing, you know, besides the, the traditional nerve blocks, IJ, cannulation, you know, the needle-guided, ultrasound needle-guided procedures, you're throwing some diagnostic stuff in there. So I'm trying to see somebody's on the table and things aren't going well. You're able to grab the ultrasound and, and take a peek at, you know, the critical care type cardiac or abdominal and free fluid, that kind of thing, pneumos.
1: Exactly. And, you know, in, in anesthesia care, there's really kind of um, two ways to, to utilize this. There's when you've got the, the patient in the preoperative area and you want to stay out of trouble, you know, and you've got just sort of some clinical question, you know, do they have food in their stomach? Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are they fluid loaded? Uh, how is their heart? You know, maybe they've got a, a history of congestive heart, heart failure. And the thing that I, I always sort of stress to people is, you know, the, the traditional paradigm. You take that patient and you say, okay, he needs to go get a, a formal echo done before he comes in for surgery. Well, he goes for that echo. He's not NPO. He's taken all his medications. You know, he is, is an audition, so he has this echo done, and you get the the results. And it mm-hmm. looks great. Well, then we make him NPO, so he's not, he's dehydrated. He's only taken half his blood pressure medicines because we tell him which ones to take or not. And so the patient that shows up the morning of surgery is in very different condition than the patient that had that echo, you know, that formal echo. Being able to grab an ultrasound machine and literally look inside the patient and see what's going on, has just uh, such huge utility.
0: Right. You're kind of in the now and in the moment. Uh, it's like almost like a serial study. You've had the formal echo, but let's take a look here before we get started. You know, a sort of a reconnaissance scan.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's a good idea.
1: It anything because you've already got the ultrasound machine there. Mm-hmm. It takes an extra, you know, one or two minutes of your time to gain information that, you literally have no other way to collect.
0: So you have any more uh, other beneficial uses of uh, point care ultrasound in your job? So right now,
1: probably 90 to 95% of the time at my job, I'm doing OB anesthesia, obstetric anesthesia.
0: Wow, yeah.
1: And so we're using that to scan the spine before we do... Uh, you know, spinal or epidural placements. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the, the obesity epidemic out there, um, it's just getting harder and harder. You know, the, the standard needle is nine centimeters long and several times a week at this point, we're having to go to a to a longer needle. It used to be, you know, you never needed more than that. But, and so the idea of being able to sort of Feel some landmarks and, and use that to guide your placement, a lot of times doesn't apply anymore because you can't feel anything. So to be able to, again, just take a look and see what's under the skin, draw some, some target marks for yourself, um, really increases your success rate, and it increases the, the comfort of the patient because it takes a lot less time to do the procedure.
0: You know, I was just sitting here thinking, tell me more uh, a little bit more about, uh, you're the founder of SOFA. Let's talk about that. Sure. Yeah, the Society for Opioid-Free Anesthesia.
1: Sure. Uh, we started that about three years ago. Uh-huh. Um, myself and another CRNA um, that I was teaching uh, pain management and ultrasound-guided blocks with, uh, we had this sort of passion and, you know, sort of the idea being that, you know, back in, in 1960 when fentanyl was created, it was a huge step forward in the ability of people to give anesthesia. Um, it was a much safer drug than the anesthetics they were using at that. And so it was great, but, you know, 60 years has gone by We've learned a lot more about the the negative and the harmful effects of opioids. We've learned a lot more about how to manage surgical pain better. We've got more drugs. We've got these chains everywhere that we can do uh, peripheral nerve blocks with, mm-hmm. and so the the need to use opioids has just drastically decreased, and we know that not only do we not need them anymore, but patients do so much better without them. Right. And so we we founded this society to uh, to educate anesthesia providers, because you think about it, you know, three generations of anesthesia providers have, you know, come and gone and been educated on, on sort of this opioid-based anesthetic technique. So there's the lost preconceptions about even the necessity of using opioid and it's you know in healthcare change is slow and so just trying to to break that habit or to get people to realize there is a, another way and a better way
0: yeah I like that that's that's really ACEs as far as that goes and the way it's going, especially with the opioid crisis that, you know, is always in the news that you're hearing around. That's a different thing completely, but, you know, that leveled twilight that you want to be in so you can talk to the patient and, you know, get them to Valsalva and cough and whatever you need to do.
1: The other thing about it is with the, the opioid epidemic, now we've got all these people who are in recovery from their opioid addiction coming in for surgery, and so not only are they scared and worried about the, the traditional things of, you know, uh, worried about pain, worried about the surgery going well, worried about dying under anesthesia, mm-hmm. but they're also worried about relapsing to their addiction. And so to, to be able to tell them, listen, we can get you through this without exposing you this drug of your addiction is huge and life-changing for those patients.
0: Yeah. All right. So, you know, I was thinking a little bit, we were talking beforehand, and how is the technology uh, changing to influence the rise in uh, point-of-care ultrasound, I guess, implementation?
1: So that's, I mean, I think the, the first thing that happened was that, um, you know, they got smaller and they got cheaper and so they became ubiquitous that it wasn't a big deal to have an ultrasound machine in, in every anesthesia department. Mm-hmm. And and that sort of continued in that we're seeing these handheld ultrasounds that plug into your, your phone or your tablet. And so you don't even need like a dedicated ultrasound machine anymore. Um, You know, all the technologies in the the handheld piece, you've got an app on your phone or your tablet that you can use to
0: to see the image. So like a butterfly or something or even different vendors that are out there.
1: Right. And the other thing that you're um, starting to see is the use of AI incorporated into the ultrasound machine. Where, when you put the probe on the patient and pull up an image, um, it'll automatically label structures for you, or, or it'll calculations like the ejection fraction, um, volumes like you can calculate, it'll automatically to volume of the stomach or the bladder. Um, and so, it's just automatically doing these things for you. And what a lot of that does is reduces the amount of of, uh, training and education that you need to be able to get clinically relevant information from the ultrasound probe. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, most of us that are doing this point-of-care ultrasound, we're not ultrasound experts. We don't have a degree in it. We're not going through uh, a whole program. We have, you know, maybe a week of training in school and some hands-on experience and so you know we're not really experts in it but it's something that we do every day yes and so for those and you know even even the education piece is relatively new having formal education in it so there's a lot of people out there that are going to a week in class to sort of get the basics and get up and running on it and so this sort of thing just lowers the bar and raises the amount of, of good information that you can get with with less experience, I guess.
0: You're right. And in re- regards, I'll go you a step, ratchet it up even more in the artificial intelligence. I saw the other day in the trades, uh, the FDA has approved an artificial intelligence device transducer that um, you can just place near where you're trying to get, let's say, a parasternal long axis view of the heart for cardiac scanning. So you've got a nurse on the floor in the unit. They can get it near third, fourth, second intercostal space, and it scans Mm -hmm. quickly through an array of templates, you know. And then when the template is on axis and perfect, that's the image you're going to get. And then the next move, I guess, is what you just described, you know, populating the structures or doing the EF. Ejection fraction and all that so it's now it's even the AI is making it so you don't have to have the hands and say doing a clinical preceptorship for two or three months and a certain number of scans to be able to scan something on axis and do a very abbreviated cardiac study that's 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 almost here within this decade I'm sure
1: yeah that's that's amazing yeah. and you know this is something that you know, previously just didn't even exist. I mean, if you wanted this information, you had to order it, the patient had to go down to the lab, get the scan done, then you had to wait for the, the scan right. to be interpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you need that information in any sort of urgent manner, there is none of that, right?
0: Yeah, the... The AI is something. There's radiologists that the machines are beating some radiologists out there. You know, they can see the pixelation and identify the cancer really small, better than the human eye. So it's not just affecting truck drivers and assembly line workers. So <laughs> it's blue. It's not just blue collar. It's white collar and professionals too. So uh, so So, what? with that question, I'm going to finish up here with uh, – what do you see? What's the future of point of care ultrasound and anesthesia? I think we just kind of nailed some of that.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that we have to um, be sort of careful about, and before we, you know, go into this whole hog and just say, well, you know, the AI is going to interpret everything for us, I think we really need to set some standards and increase the the basic education that we're giving everyone. Because it's one thing to just let the machine do it, but you've got to be able to look and make sure uh, that it it did it, you know, that it interpreted the image that you're getting correctly, and especially when you start having some pathology in there and it doesn't look like a normal scan, you know, you've got to be able to, to verify that what the machine is telling you is correct. So I think the big steps forward in the in the near future that we need to do is really solidify what the, the basic educational requirements are going to be for doing POCUS and start making sure everyone does that or gets that.
0: All right, Dr. Tom Berbeau. Listen, thank you, and it's been great having you today on the podcast. It's an honor, and we thank you for all you do in CRNA. And patient safety. And don't forget, for more POCUS style topics, follow us on Facebook at POCUS CERT Academy and Twitter at POCUS Academy. Tom, thanks a lot and have a good evening. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us at Twitter at POCUS Academy and Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy. If you'd like to learn more about the POCUS community, visit us at POCUSworld.org. Take a look at participating in our POCUS 25 research. Help contribute to the scientific development of the top 25 point of care ultrasounds. And we'll see you next time. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests and not those of Intelios. This podcast is for information purposes only.